In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I am stoked for this episode for a couple of reasons. One, our guest today, Scott Barrett, is just full of information about international travel and frameworks to consider when planning and just this idea of exposing us to opportunities. I was having a conversation last week with someone about how do you even expose people to things that are possible and things that they might not even know is a blind spot for them. We call it exposure therapy. It was a really interesting conversation and maybe that'll be another episode But I felt like this was something that I had a lot of questions. You're going to hear, I have a lot of questions about this, about moving abroad and traveling internationally. I've done it, but I only did it in my teens and 20s. And it's been a long time. I've never done it with kids. So I think coming from that place of curiosity and doing something uncomfortable, and it doesn't have to be international travel. Uh, Just an example, yesterday it rained and my kids were really rambunctious and it was a way for me to be like, okay, go run in the rain. And they were like, well, that's wet and that's cold and that's muddy. And I'm like, yep. And it's not going to hurt you. It's okay to do something a little bit uncomfortable. Last week we were driving home and I have noticed we were in the RV and I've just noticed I'm really comfortable sitting in the passenger seat. I love you know, planning and figuring out where we're going next and reading my books. And I've just been really immersed in that in that passenger seat. And I realized like, I'm getting really comfortable over here. And my husband was doing a lot of the driving. And that's kind of been the way it has been for the summer. I've just gotten a little nervous. And I've driven it before. I mean, we, we bought it and I drove it immediately. So I don't know what it was. But in my head, I was like, okay, I'm too comfortable. I've got to figure this out. So on the drive home, I made him pull over and yeah, it was kind of fun. I drove the RV. It's a little over 30 feet. It's not completely uncomfortable. I mean, once I was back in the driver's seat and reminding myself about, you know, how to align myself within the two lines, right? The white line and the yellow line and making it all fit. It's really not that hard, but the idea of it, it's so easy to opt out of things that are uncomfortable. And it takes practice, So I think sometimes that's one of the things I'm seeing is I'm learning to see opportunities better in the RV. It's just simplifying what is in front of me. And there's a lot of joy for me in that space, which I'll just kind of put a plug in here. If this is something you want to practice, if this is something just noticing what's uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone and practicing adventure, the Everyday Adventure Challenge is going on now. If you want to register, we're we're closing registration on September 4th. And we will kick off into the fall 60-day challenge on September 5th. So lots of ideas, lots of encouragement, lots of resources that are available to you. And it's really only a couple months of just practicing things that get you a little bit uncomfortable. If that's of interest to you, head over to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash challenge. So I'm really excited. I'm going to go right into this episode with Scott. And we're going to talk about some different ways that maybe you haven't thought about international travel in this way. 
I was first exposed to our guest today through his brother Brad Barrett on the Choose If I podcast, where he spoke about his adventure in teaching abroad. It sparked my curiosity. As a former teacher and student who studied abroad in high school, I never considered studying abroad as an option as an adult. That episode also introduced me to the concept of geo-arbitrage. Scott Barrett taught for 10 years in the United States before moving to Chile to teach internationally and later took a year-long sabbatical at the end of the 2018-2019 school year, unfortunately ended a bit early due to COVID. When I first learned he was living in Madison currently, I hoped we would be able to meet up, but unfortunately he's going to be ending his teaching career as he will retire around the age of 40 and be moving back out east. Scott intends to start a financial coaching business, volunteer, and add to the 50-plus countries he's previously traveled to. Scott Barrett, it's such an honor to have you as a guest today. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thank you so much, Heidi. I'm really excited to be here. So just to like kick off this, how did you first get introduced even to the concept of teaching abroad or international teaching? You know, it's funny. It's one of those things where for 10 years, I had no clue about international teaching. And luckily, I was taking a trip in, I was in Argentina, and I was at a hostel, hanging out, talking to someone there and just, oh, what do you do? I'm a math teacher. What do you do? I'm a math teacher. Where do you teach? Virginia. Where do you teach? Shanghai, China. And it just blew my mind, A, that this gentleman, Garrett, was all the way in Buenos Aires. And then Secondly, that he could speak Mandarin and teach in another language. And so I asked him, he's like, no, I don't, I don't speak Mandarin. I, I teach in an international school. It's all in English. It's all U.S. curriculum. It's pretty much the same job you have in Virginia, just in China, making more money with more benefits and more perks. And it, it completely changed my world. I started researching it right away. And within, yeah, about a year, I had a job lined up. Um, for my first international school in um, Santiago, Chile, where I wound up uh, teaching for four years and meeting my wife. So it's just an incredible, incredible place for me. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So tell me, is that normal? Like, is is international teaching usually in English or is it expected? I mean, is it a benefit if you teach a foreign language or what is the expectations, I guess, of becoming an international teacher? Yeah, that's a great question. Most of the big international schools uh, throughout the world are English-based, and they're either U.S. curriculum. A lot of schools have a British approach. But yeah, it's for a lot of times families who are either local families who want their children to get a U.S.-style or Western-style education, or a lot of times it could be someone who's someone who works for a multinational company who knows they're moving back to the U.S. eventually and wants their child or children to to continue that U.S. style or, or Western education approach. But yeah, speaking another language is definitely not required. Most of my colleagues, most of the international teachers only spoke English, maybe could pass for Spanish at a restaurant and doing the basics of life, but definitely did not need to teach in Spanish just would be a bonus, you know, an extra perk if you could. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose not much different if, you know, as a teacher, you come with different experience and stuff like that as well. So probably just an added perk in the resume. Yeah, exactly. Just that extra little bonus. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by this concept because I am curious about, you know, I have friends too that have said it would be so cool if we could study abroad or teach abroad. I guess I never really thought of the ability to have a job abroad like teaching. You know, I think about 
studying abroad is like something you do in high school or college, not necessarily you get to do as an adult in your profession. So if I was just curious, where would I even start to look for jobs like this? Or how do you find out about where the opportunities are to potentially teach abroad? Yeah, there are actually a number of websites and different job fairs out there. I mean, a few of the big names are International School Services and Search Associates, which pretty much they have virtual job fairs and then job fairs in the U.S. and around the world. Bangkok, I know, has a big one. London always has a big one. Dubai. And you go and it's just you bring a resume and have interviews with schools. And the only difference would be that principals are there could be a principal from from Singapore. There could be a principal from Paris or Santiago. And you can just apply for different positions throughout the world. It's really incredible. Yeah. And a lot of times once you're in the international community, it's a lot of word of mouth and oh, I heard there, you know, this school might be hiring. But to get your foot in the door, it's just really as simple as going to one of those sites and creating a profile like I did what about six years ago. And once you have that all set up, you can start looking at available positions. And yeah, then just trying to find a good match for you. A lot of people look location wise, like, oh, I would love to be in and then fill in the blank, Asia or Caribbean, mm -hmm. Europe. Some of those places like Europe, for instance, are, are a little bit more in demand. And as a result, maybe the salaries are not as high, but then the lifestyle is great. You can travel, you have tons of travel opportunities mm -hmm. where, you know, there are schools in other locations where maybe are not as, um, I wouldn't say desirable, but that aren't as popular and the packages are, are great and you can get a, as high, if not higher salary than you would in the U.S. with flights home paid for, a lot of times housing paid for, and relocation expenses. So you get money to come to the country. And then even when you leave, yeah, some really great perks for sure. Now, I come with a family <laughs> and I know you met your wife in Chile. <laughs> Did you, was it a problem at all to be kind of a party of two or five or whatever you are? Or is it, is it more ideal if you're a single teacher? You know, actually, it's probably best if you're a couple. A lot of schools are looking to hire couples. There are plenty of single teachers. There are plenty of couples. There are plenty of couples that have families. I have a few friends who have two, three children. And uh, that's also another perk. Most of the big schools offer free tuition for at least two, if not all of your children, if you have a very large family. Um, free flights home again for the children. So a lot of these communities are very family friendly and they're great places to raise children because, hey, you're you're getting a, in oftentimes a world-class education and also mm -hmm. immersion in a foreign language a lot of times and just this global perspective that you don't necessarily get in the US or other countries if that's the only place that you've ever known. So yeah, it's a really cool place to raise a family. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I met Kristen, my wife there. She had taught in Germany and Munich and then before that in a school in South Korea in Seoul. So she has a little bit more experience than I do, but um, I'm very glad wow. that, that we uh, our paths crossed when they did in, in Santiago. Yeah, that's awesome. My husband's going to regret that I'm interviewing you right now. <laughs> <laughs> my current principal might regret hiring me because I've told a number of his current teachers about international teaching and how incredible it is. So there might be a an exodus in a couple of a year or two from my current school. So whoops. 
Well, you, yeah. Oh, well. Whoops is exactly right. I think that's yeah. that's right. We can inspire people, but you, you can lead a dog to water, but you can't make them drink, right? So it's really up to them if they want to choose that path. Exactly. So let's also transition. You also talked in your bio about your sabbatical year. And again, I think this is a concept that unless you have, when I think about sabbaticals, I think about like professors or pastors or something where it's kind of built into the culture. And I don't know if a sabbatical is common with teachers. So how did you come up with the idea of a sabbatical or what was kind of the impetus that desired you to explore that option? Yeah, I mean, it's not super common in domestic U.S. teaching. It is a little bit more common in international teaching where people do take a year away and just do some traveling or go back home, maybe to be with a family member and then get back out there. But I think for, for Chris and I, we both love traveling. And I've traveled, I've been traveling since I was 10 years old, where I, when I first went to England to play soccer in fifth grade. So exploring the world and meeting different people, experiencing different cultures has always been something that I've really been interested in. And for my wife, Kristen, as well. And it was one of those things like, hey, we want to take this time. We don't know where life is going to lead us. We don't know if we're ever going to have this opportunity again. So let's do it. And we just decided after our fourth year that this would be the right time. And we could always go back and say, oh, next year, next year, just one more year. And we just kind of ripped the bandaid off and went for it. And it took a lot of planning, but at the same time, we didn't overplan. We had a basic skeleton of an itinerary laid out actually based on where friends were, who we had taught with in the previous four years, and then also where job fairs were. So we started in Europe and stayed with friends in Prague and England and Germany, and then flew to Dubai where we had a friend, but also where there was a job fair and wound up at that job fair, we were hired for a position to teach in Shanghai, China. Unfortunately, due to COVID, the the job didn't work out in the end, but it was a great experience. And from there, we headed to um, to Bangkok for a second job fair in case the first one didn't work out. But again, we had friends friends there and in Kuala Lumpur, and yeah, we were just love our time traveling. We really tried to incorporate travel wards and using hotel points and frequent flyer points in order to highly subsidize the trip. And then threw in some trusted house sitters, which is a website where you can watch people's animals and homes while they're on holiday and throw that in with some long-term Airbnbs. And we were able to, to live for a year overseas, almost a year. And it was definitely not as bad as you would think it would be overall for the whole cost. <laughs> okay. I need, we need to like back up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You just gave me like the whole, <laughs> the whole realm of like how you planned it, how you paid for it. That's amazing. So let's just unpack that a little bit. So you okay, sure. have a pretty good network, I'm assuming of where friends are located in different locations. And that's kind of what you use as the basis, right? That was kind of the skeleton framework. Yeah, exactly. We knew we had friends in Western Europe, in Dubai, in Bangkok, in Kuala Lumpur. So we knew we were going to go to those places and spend a considerable time there. Not that we were going to overstay any welcomes, but to spend time with friends and to be able to at least have some bookmarks where we knew, okay, come January, we'll be in Thailand. And it, it just helped us with our planning because otherwise it would have been overwhelming yeah. with when the world is completely your oyster and you just don't, oh, I don't know, should we stay for another 10 days or should we fly halfway across the world? So it, it definitely helped us with yeah. the the fact that it made it less overwhelming. 
So did you plan out all of your airfare in advance? Like how far ahead were you working on this timeline? Did you have the entire year and the flights and everything purchased or were you kind of operating in smaller chunks of time? We did both, actually. We had the big flights. So when we flew from Europe to Dubai, we had that booked months in advance because we knew we had to be there. I forget the exact date, but we had to be there for a job fair no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of did a little backwards planning up into that point. If we need to end up at Croatia where our flight is, what are we going to do before that? Okay, then we, we just did the planning leading up into those big flights more impromptu, more spontaneously. This way we had both the long-term planning and then we had some flexibility built within. So yeah, then the flight from, uh, wound up going from Oman to Bangkok, we had that flight booked again, months in advance, knowing that we were going to make that. So we were able to get those big flights paid for either using points. So we're completely free or one of the flights we, I think it was from Oman to Bangkok, which was, you know, thousands of miles, but it only cost us, I think, $200 each or something. So it was very reasonable for those flights. And then the the shorter distances, we either used points, we took a lot of buses, found cheap airfare on Google Flights and just look for those kind of piecemeal some of it together. When you're talking about travel points, is there a specific like framework or a strategy that you use to kind of get to the, cause it takes also, well, and maybe you already had some points, but did you have kind of a lens of, all right, we know we want to fly this airline or, you know, we have this one as a partner of this, it, cause it, travel rewards can get pretty complicated. And I know maybe you have a, I don't know, an added bonus that you and your brother have hacked this system for a while and are probably gurus at it. Yeah. It helps have a brother who has, you know, one of his first websites was helping people with travel rewards. So yeah, I mean, we we just stockpiled points for probably about a year, maybe a little under. And we had um, a lot of the flexible points like ultimate rewards where we could then transfer to different partners. But then, yeah, we also had a big stockpile of British Airways points and United points. This way we knew, okay, let's we know we need to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful too. Yeah. Right. So we, we had to get from point A to point B and then we just went to three different websites and okay, which one will be the, the least number of points? Okay. Let's go for it. Or there's not the best redemption. How much is a ticket in cash? Okay. We'll, we'll pay for it in cash. So yeah, give us that flexibility to be able to, to do that. But yeah, we, we probably stockpile for about a year and our biggest redemptions were actually using a Hilton credit card that we got the fifth night free and wound up staying in Eastern Europe and Romania, especially, I think it was 20 nights we stayed in hotels. And when you're on the road, those nights are worth their weight in gold, being able to, to have a clean bed every night and not having to worry about Airbnb host or anything like that. So yeah, we really look forward to, to those experiences for sure. Yeah. And for my listeners, we're talking like a 400 level course right now. Like this is master's level travel rewards. We've done some like 100, 200 level stuff. But I think once you get to the expert level of the Barrett family, you can start to really see the value proposition of travel rewards because it really has some major potential. I want to also then lean into though, Scott, you talked about a resource called Trusted House Sitters. That might be new to a lot of my listeners. Explain to me what is Trusted House Sitters? Like who are the people that put their homes up? Like, where did you stay? What kind of, what were the expectations? Tell me a little bit about that. Cause I don't know that my listeners have heard of that before. It is such a great website. It, it's for, it's meant for people who have 
animals who have homes with mm-hmm. cats or dogs, sometimes horses and goats. You'd be surprised what you'd find. And people who are traveling and they don't want to put their animal or animals in boarding, either because it's too expensive or too traumatizing. So pretty much what they do is they make a listing and they look for someone to watch their house and watch their pets. And there's an annual fee, which is very reasonable. That's the only cost associated with the website. And then at that point, let's say a family is going away for two weeks and they, they'll put their house up on the website and maybe 10, 15, 20 people will apply to be the house sitters and they do a interview process. And pretty much if you're selected, you get a free place to stay and then they get a free house sitter for their animals. So it's the most mutually beneficial situation because everyone wins, especially the animals, because they're not in a, in a boarding situation for weeks at a time. And yeah, we, we stayed for about 10 days in Zurich, Switzerland, in a beautiful apartment right on the lake. That was our first house sit. And we kind of, you know, there, it is, it is a little bit competitive for some of the house sits, especially in a place like Zurich and make a long story short, the, the woman we house have for her sitter canceled last minute and we didn't have any rec- we didn't have any experience but she watched our video we were both teachers and liked our profile interviewed us and we were there within two weeks and had a, a free place to stay for 10 days got to hang out with two great dogs and then it definitely when you're traveling for a long extended period of time it, it subsidizes it very nicely and that was our first sit we had one in Kuala Lumpur as well and we stayed there for another 10 days or so. Yeah, in Valencia, Spain as well. And that was right towards the end of our trip, right? Unfortunately, when COVID was getting bad. But um, yeah, it was a great way to see some places and have more of a home feel too. Because if you're on the road for a while, staying at hotels sounds great. Staying at Airbnbs sound great. But you don't get that homey feel that you would when you're actually hunkered down somewhere for two weeks at a time or 10 days at a time. Mm -hmm. So it was great to just to kind of slow down and really get to enjoy and feel more like a local at a place. I know when we were chatting back and forth, I was going, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Partially because I have a dog and it's a pain to board them and to, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out travel. In fact, I think we're switching up our plan so that we, we bought an RV specifically for the dog. I'm like, this is quite an investment so that we can travel with our dog now. But I think... I think it gives you an opportunity to experience that location or that community in a different lens as well, because you're actually living in a local's home. And so I think that's a very intriguing way to consider travel. Yeah, it's great. And there, there's a whole community out there of people who do this long term, who go from one house to the next. And, you know, in between, they'll stay at a hotel or Airbnb and they really, they just get to know a place for an extended amount of time. And like I said, it's, it's just a win-win for everyone. I can't say enough good things about the website and uh, the people we met along the way and what, you know, watching their animals, obviously you, you form a bond when you trust someone enough to, to watch your fur babies. So um, yeah, it really was, it was yeah. incredible. So let's talk about just kind of the personal aspect of this. Cause I also think 
you know, even that experience of like going into a home center experience versus a hotel, like I know a lot of people that are comfortable, like prefer the comforts or want to know that they don't want to have to show up and have things not go according to plan, right? When you're in a foreign country. So was there ever a time in this process that you had some anxiety or that things didn't go according to plan? Or how do you kind of handle that from like the mental perspective of traveling abroad to all these different places and just helping support your anxiety or reduce your anxiety on having everything go according to plan? You know, I'm a typical type A person and, you know, I'd like to have everything planned out. And I just had to, at some point say, listen, not everything's going to go to plan. It's part of the adventure. And it makes a lot of times the, the things that happened to us along the way were some of our best memories. When we, we got a flat tire in a friend's car, just Kristen and I driving in in Oman, in the, in the desert. And, you know, some local Omanis, they helped us and helped us change the tire. You know, that was something that wasn't planned, definitely wasn't planned, but it was one of the highlights of our trip, just the warmth and friendliness and helpfulness of, of the locals there. Or trying to find an Airbnb late at night and not being able to find it and not having the right contact information. It's just part of the adventure. And I think some deep breaths always helped, but just knowing that everything was going to work out and there were, the biggest stress was, okay, well, are we going to have a, a roof over our heads? Well, we're both intelligent people. We'll figure something out. If we can't get into the Airbnb, we'll figure something out. We'll go back to the train station or bus station and you know see if we can find another place or go onto a Facebook group and see if there are any expats in the area that could help us out for a night or something like that. So just knowing that the worst case scenario wasn't too bad, I think that helped. And um, yeah, just being able to roll with it. And Kristen is a lot better at that than I am. So it helped to to kind of see her go and just to realize, okay, like this isn't, it's nothing to, to panic about if things don't go according to plan, just part of the adventure. Yeah, I think that helps alleviate just some of the anxiety. We see a lot of things in the media. So when you're talking about Oman and some of these places that we might not be comfortable with their culture or be immersed in their culture on a regular basis and not know a lot of things, I think that can bring up a lot of fear. And there's a lot of myths, I think, too, around what to expect. And there's a process in terms of just figuring out and keeping yourself in a reality check mode. But you mentioned something that I just want to lift up a little bit. You mentioned checking in on Facebook group with expats that might live there. Talk to me a little bit about how did you connect with people that might be in these locations? I know you had friends, but then do you also have a network of kind of expats, just generally speaking, through Facebook, it sounds like, that you could kind of check in and use as a resource? Yeah, I mean, really, the international teaching community is super tight. So most big cities, there are international schools there. So having a friend of a friend who might work at a school, reaching out to him or her and just saying, Oh, I'm, you know, my, I'm in town for a little bit. I, I taught with, with your friend two years ago, you know, I would love to grab some coffee or something. And the number of experiences we had where it wasn't even our friends, it was their friends or their friends, friends who wound up meeting with us and showing us around. That was really big, but Facebook is incredible where you can, type in the search where the name of the city and expats and you'd be surprised how many cities have a, a thriving community the choose fi community also is helpful uh there are the local groups so when we were in valencia we had a meet up with the local choose fi group there we joined this the switzerland group 
and we're able to get some pointers from people. Uh, there are also, and I can't off the top of my head, I can't think of the the website, but it's a meetup. You have these meetups where you can find people who all like hiking. So yeah, you might not speak the same language, but people in that country like to hike and you like to hike. So go for it. And maybe you have enough common language where you can have a quick conversation. And it's just incredible that in the 50 countries or so that I've been to, you know, people all like the same things. They all want to be happy. People are just genuinely helpful. And I know that's a big myth. Like, oh, never ask a stranger for help. The number of, we had a taxi driver when we were in Romania who pretty much told us, do not get in my taxi. It's going to cost you way too much money. (laughs) Go downstairs, go to this subway line, buy the ticket. He gave us point by point directions and probably saved us $30 because he was a kind person. And, you know, that those experiences you have are just incredible. And it really, it just renews your faith in humanity and people. And that's one of the big reasons why Chris and I love to travel because you get to experience in that. And that means maybe not daily, but throughout your time for sure. That is awesome. I think that's exactly what I have experienced too in travel. I've had some pretty interesting moments just traveling with kids. And I have always found that people are so genuinely helpful and generous in helping you solve your problems when you when you look like the deer in headlights, they notice and they Absolutely. Yeah. I love that community aspect to travel. And that's part of the reason why I love too is connecting with locals and people who know I'm kind of an anti-tourist, I guess I would say, you know, like I don't just want the big sites. I want to really connect with the local people and get to know who they are around the world. And that's a huge asset. No, absolutely. And with technology, it makes it even easier. We were, uh, we stayed in an Airbnb for about three weeks in Koh Chang, Thailand, and neither Chris nor I speak any Thai, but the only restaurant, the only place to eat near our, near our, our Airbnb was within a quick walk. And they didn't speak in English, but we had Google Translate. We had smiles. And by the time we were done for three weeks, we went every day for a meal there. And on a side note, it was like $2 for the two of us for, for any meal, which was incredible. But we wound up having, you know, building a relationship with them where our last day, they gave us some, some gifts before we left and took pictures with them. And again, neither, they didn't speak English and we didn't speak Thai, but we were able to kind of figure it out with Aww. Google Translate and just friendliness and and smiles so that's awesome yeah smiles are kind of the universal sign language i think you know exactly right (laughs) awesome well i know you are about to kind of wrap up your teaching career what is next for you you want to give a insight into where things are where you anticipate to be next year yeah so we're moving back east to richmond virginia where where my brother and his family and my parents live and Kristen will continue working as a teacher, she's a kindergarten teacher, and I will try to transition into some of my other passions. I really would love to help adults with financial coaching and really helping people be able to make their lives better by realizing that finances can be much more manageable. I also would love to continue to teach financial literacy to students, so volunteering at some of my, maybe my old school or one of the schools in the Richmond area. And yeah, just doing some some other volunteering, maybe Habitat for Humanity is one that's jumping out of me, just staying outside and trying to stay fit by um, building yeah. some houses. But yeah, no, I think doing those things and just trying to spend time with my family and uh, reconnect with some old friends because I lived there before moving to Chile. 
Yeah, that is awesome. Scott, it has been such an honor and a pleasure. I have a couple of ways if people wanted to connect with you. Is there any way in particular that you'd prefer if they follow up? Um, well, I'm on Facebook, uh, Scott Barrett. You can just search me, search for me there. I'm also on Instagram, uh, International Teachers Life is my Instagram uh, username. And uh, yeah, those would be probably the best, best two places. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's just, I love exposing people to different options and knowing some different ways to approach it because it can be very overwhelming. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you, Scott. That felt like a personal tutorial on how to consider international travel and some potential time abroad. I just thought it was so valuable. So I have 10 key takeaways for you today. Number one, Exposure to something that isn't normal can open up so many opportunities. Scott's simple curiosity led him to learn about and challenge the assumptions about what it meant to be an international teacher. Number two, most international schools are taught in English and based on many Western style educational systems. Speaking another language is just an added benefit. Number three, There are several resources like International School Services and Search Associates that have websites and job fairs to help explore if international teaching opportunities would be something of interest to you. Number four, a sabbatical is an intentional year away. Instead of falling victim to the one more year syndrome, they created a basic skeleton of an itinerary and filled it with the details as they went along. Number five, They optimize their network, locations of job fairs, travel rewards, and trusted house sitters to create a year of travel. Number six, their main skeleton was crafted starting with bookmarks of where they had contacts and friends, followed by purchasing the big flights, ideally through travel rewards, and filled in the in-between travel, so to speak, with other resources for transportation. Through stockpiling travel rewards points for about a year, they were able to use flexible points and a couple co-branded things like British Airways, United Airways, and Hilton to fill in those gaps. The most critical piece was lodging, and an experience through trusted host sitters gave them a local perspective and a great home-like connection when they've been on the road for an extended period of time. Number seven. Things aren't always going to go according to plan. The mindset that we are intelligent people and we will figure it out, or being willing to ask for help through online expat groups, such as the Choose FI local groups, is an added resource in your back pocket when times get tough. Number eight, shared experiences don't require each other to speak the same language. A smile is a universal sign language. Number nine, People are genuinely helpful. Travel has renewed their faith in humanity. And number 10, exposure to something completely different has opened their eyes to what's possible, but also what's familiar. And it's fun to come back home and experience all of the things that they started out with so many years ago. I hope this gives you just a little tidbit, exposing you to something that might not be normal in your world. You may never have met an international teacher or never considered it. Maybe you never thought about living abroad or having a gap year in your 30s or 40s. I hope this episode just opens your eyes to what's possible. That adventure doesn't have to be an epic thing like international travel, but learning these little tidbits along the way can really help you live a life that's just a little bit more fulfilling. 
found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.